welcome and greetings in our Savior's name this morning. I don't know if you get spaghetti out of that or not, but there you go. I'd like to think about another simple, small word this morning. If you remember several sermons back, I talked about the word if. This morning, I'd like to think about the word of. It's interesting, as Dennis was talking about when Mennonites get together, I guess I, I was thinking previous, too. I wasn't thinking about spaghetti. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking uh, the windows are open. I was wondering what the singing sounds like from outside. Uh, how far it carries, I don't know uh, whether it carries to the neighbors or not. But uh, you know, that's uh, we got uh, pretty good volume. And uh, then my mind went on back further to my growing up days. We're talking about home this morning. Uh, growing up days in Northern Lancaster County, and when the old orders would have their their hymn sing Saturday night outside, sometimes it carried for quite a few miles across the countryside. And uh, so it was just a memory that I had. And I thought about that in, this morning as we sang with the windows open. Our testimony uh, is carried forth from this place, uh, even as we leave this place throughout the week as well. <clears throat> of. It's a small word. It's a connection word. I like to think of the word of as a connection word. Webster de- defines it as this, at a distance from, produced by, tracing it's sourced to, composed of. And I thought about that word of. I thought, uh, you know, what does my of resume look like in my life? Well, again, here we go. For the first 20 years of my life, I was Warren Nolte of Stevens, Pennsylvania. That gave an identity to me. There were more Warren Nolts uh, in Pennsylvania, but I was the one from Stevens, Pennsylvania. For less than a year after that, it changed to New Holland, Pennsylvania. For the last 38 years, it's been Warren Nolte of Dodge Center, Minnesota. So it gives me a connection, gives me an identity. I thought of Brother Dennis here. I know probably at least four other Dennis Martins. But when I see Dennis Martin of Waltham, Minnesota, I know which one they're talking about. Uh, So it gives us a connection, gives us an identity. Uh, I am a member of Prairie Mennonite Church of Prairie Mennonite Church. You know, I didn't. some of these ofs I had a choice in. I didn't have a choice that I was born in Pennsylvania. That was beyond my uh, choice. But I did have a choice in changing that to Dodge Center, Minnesota, and also New Holland, Pennsylvania as well. I had a choice in those, those ofs. I had a choice in choosing to be a member of this church. And everyone here should have had that choice as well. We don't force anyone to be members of Prairie Mennonite Church. It's a choice that you make yourself in uh, following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that we can be a channel. This church can be a channel to help you to experience uh, the depth of Christ and Christianity, what it ought to be. And that should be one of our mission goals and focuses, that, that Christ would always be experienced here. I am of the tribe of Elam. That was, I think, an original of Stanley Fox. He used to give me a hard time about that. Uh, my father's name was Elam, and uh, he'd say that I was of the tribe of Elam. Elam is mentioned in the Old Testament, and uh, so he would uh, play on that a little bit. Uh, we have, you have, no choice of who, what line, what family line you were born into. I have, I'm a descendant of the Nolt family, the Wenger family, the Musser family, the Good family, and I don't know how many other names could be brought into that. And you can think about your 
uh, of resume as well this morning. As we think about this this morning, I want to make some spiritual lessons from uh, this word here this morning for us to think about, uh, thinking of it from a spiritual perspective. You know, where you lived, who your descendants are, and of what organizations you are a part of. Give us identity and give us points of reference through life. And uh, we can't totally maybe uh, disassociate ourselves from all of those ups. They, they stick to us pretty tight. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. God used the word up in the Bible fairly frequently. If all of the word, if all of the, uh, now Arnie told us the center column was inspired, but of isn't in the center column here. So I'm thinking the word of is inspired by God this morning. And if you take your strong concordance and look in the back, it actually doesn't, it lists the references there, but I didn't even count how many different pages of of's there are in the Bible, uh, in the Strong's, uh, in the Strong's concordance in the back. In the, uh, but there's quite a few. And uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 is an interesting verse, and I've thought about this many times. This is God uh, talking to Moses in the Old Testament here. Verse 6, moreover he said, I should actually back up and read, uh, I'm going to read from verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now verse 6, Moreover he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. This morning I like to think of that word of as it comes to embracing uh, the God of our fathers and uh, the true God as we have it depicted here in the experience with Moses in the book of Exodus. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Moses, if you're familiar here, he was on the backside of the uh, desert here keeping his, uh, the flock of his uh, Jethro, his father-in-law. And if you back up to chapter 2, verse 19... And uh, this was his encounter with his uh, father-in-law-to-be. Uh, in verse 18, when they came to... Well, maybe I'll read a few more verses around that. Um, Moses had been fled Egypt because of him slaying the Egyptian there. And breaking at verse 16, Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the, trough, the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Here Moses is a, is a vagabond. He's fleeing for his life. Actually, uh, Pharaoh, who would have sought to slay him there, it says. And uh, the, uh, these daughters had came to water their, their father's sheep. And Moses stood up in their defense and helped them. And when they came to rule their father, and he said, How is it that you are come so soon today? He knew something had happened. He said, "Something. This is, this is different. You're here. Earlier than normal. Verse 19. And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. 
And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And uh, Moses here was misidentified as an Egyptian by these daughters uh, of rule here. And uh, I had to think as I thought about that. Could that be possible that Mo Moses was not an Egyptian, a true Egyptian? He was raised and schooled in the, in the, uh, in the philosophies of Egypt. But what was he doing on the backside of the desert? And I, I think as rule, uh, Moses' father-in-law here realized what had happened. I think his, he seems to be very, very perceptive. And uh, this is not really a, a real Egyptian. There's something different about this man's character. And uh, so he, he challenged his daughters. He said, uh, where is this man? And you ought to really have brought him here. And uh, as I thought about Moses' misidentity here, these daughters, and one of them actually was given to him then as his wife. But uh, could that be possible today that we could lose our identity? You and I could lose our identity. Uh, of who we really are as Christians in the world today. Uh, I think that's a very real uh, possibility. And actually our Sunday school lesson was talking toward that end, I believe. And I appreciate the Sunday school lesson very much. Could we be misidentified as Americans rather than Christians? Now we can't totally do away with our American culture that we're and who we are. But we ought to be for sure at best, Christian Americans. That Christian ought to be the predominant uh, characteristic in our relationship, in our attitude, in our perception, in how we view things. That Christian needs to be the predominant uh, nature that shines forth. Is it possible that we could be mistaken? Well, these daughters, I believe, they simply, I don't know if it was, if it was Moses' accent, if it was maybe some of the clothes he had on, some of the jewelry that they had. I don't know why they identified him as an Egyptian. But I'm thinking that perhaps uh, the father of these daughters saw beneath that there's something different about this man because he stood up to these other shepherds and, and helped to uh, water the, uh, the flock for his daughters in defense of his daughters. You know, we've all, in a sense, had an experience in Egypt. Egypt in the scriptures is a type of the world. Have we totally abolished? Have we totally done away? We can't do it ourselves. We need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that, that identity of Egypt can be totally taken away. Coming back to Moses' encounter here again where God addressed himself. You know, I had to wonder why God addressed himself to Moses in this way. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, and we want to look at that some more uh, in depth. But uh, as we see Moses approaching, coming to uh, this burning bush that was not consumed, verse 3, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. It seems Moses had no, no reservation, no fear in checking this phenomena out until the voice of God, the Lord, the voice of God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. That's when, that's when Moses realized what he was dealing with here. He realized that there's a power here that he, was, he needed to reckon with. And his response was, here am I. And I think as we think 
I think as we look at Moses' response, there's no other response that you and I can really give. We need to give that response to God as we hear the call of God. As we hear God's call in our lives through His Word, through His Spirit, through others prompting us, we need to respond, Lord, here am I. And the approach that Moses had, that's the only way we can approach God this morning or any time. He said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Approaching God only with respect, submission, and reverence for who he truly is. God is worthy of all of the respect and reverence that we can give him. Dropping down to, uh, to verse 15. This is where God outlined to Moses what he wanted him to do. And I'm uh, going to break in at verse, uh, I think Ellis mentioned in the Sunday school lesson. God wanted to use Moses as a deliverer of his people out of Egypt in relation to the covenant that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, Moses, of course, was somewhat uh, hesitant to assume that responsibility. Verse 11 said, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? And uh, in some ways we can appreciate Moses' humility, perhaps. Was it genuine? Uh, You know, we all tend to be pretty reserved sometimes when we're called to do a task. But uh, when God calls us, we need to be ready to accept it. It's not who I am, but it's who God is that makes the difference. And Moses had to answer to that responsibility. And uh, so then in verse uh, 14... God, Moses said, well, you know, what am I supposed to tell him? Who is, who is sending me? And God said in verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. But now notice verse 15, and I don't know how many times I've read this account, but verse 15 just, I think, drove home uh, uh, more forcefully that God is concerned about who he is and that we represent him in, in accuracy. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. I don't know if that phrase, this is my memorial unto all generations, I ever, ever caught that before. But God's saying that I want to be remembered as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And that's, he wants that to be, be uh, transgenerational across all, unto all generations. That's the way it's expressed here in the King James. And uh, so God wants that name. He wants to be remembered as, as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I believe that includes us today. It's a name that gives him distinction from all other gods, I believe. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18 for another experience here. This is the experience of one of God's prophets. 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, Elijah with the Mount Carmel experience, another very, uh, uh, how would you say, a very poignant uh, experience with God's name, God's prophets, God's people being tested against those that are false. And it in 1 Kings 18, verse uh, 36, and, uh, you know, if you think about it, here's, here's Elijah coming and uh, calling the people to make a choice this day. Who is really the true God today? And I believe we need to challenge people to, th- to that 
question today. Really, who is worthy of our service? Who is worthy of our worship? And uh, the story is, uh, is, I hope, familiar to all of us, how the prophets of Baal, they, they cried from sunup to sundown and, uh, and cut themselves and, and asked that Baal would come and, and burn up this sacrifice. And Elijah somewhat mocked them on, on numerous occasions throughout the day. And in verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And the stones he built, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Now here's where it gets different, right? Okay? You don't, you don't sacrifice and then cover it with water. Notice what he says. And fill four, four, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and filled the trenches also with water. Now, this is indeed strange, isn't it? Here is Elijah, you know, calling and expecting God to, to after this sacrifice has been drenched with water, not one time, but the second time and the third time. Now notice verse 36. And it came to pass at that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God, notice that, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. God, Elijah here is addressing God with the name that he wanted to be remembered by. Let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And I'll stop reading there. But uh, I had to think about that in the Sunday school class this morning. Because we were talking about, you know, uh, is there anything? The fire of God coming down. There's just a small example of it, you know, devouring that sacrifice. And that was drenched with water. The fire of God is, is, is a hot fire. That is, is not to be... Uh, uh, toyed with, and God consumed that sacrifice and revealed Himself who He was. But the thing that I was impressed with the way that Elijah, how many generations later here, has addressed Himself as addressed God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob or Israel. There He calls Him. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter nine. We're thinking of the word of and the connections that it makes between who we are, where we're going, and what we want to be. Mark chapter 9, verses uh, 2 through um, 10. This is the account of the transfiguration here. This is Jesus here with his disciples. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no full on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make 
three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man and any more, save Jesus, gone forth themselves only with him. And they came down and asked, I'm sorry. I want to stop at verse 8. No, verse 10. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one another what the rising from the dead should mean. And uh, God here is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. And uh, we see that here as we see Moses and Elias as they were present with Jesus here on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, the disciples were somewhat puzzled, I believe, by uh, some of all that took place there on that that, uh, Mount of uh, Transfiguration. And uh, especially in verse 10, it says, what the rising from the dead should mean. And uh, we don't understand all how that will all be experienced necessarily. None of us here have experienced that. And uh, I was challenged as I looked at Peter's uh, expression here and uh, what he was, uh, uh, it said he suggested they build some tabernacles there in that, uh, in that experience as a memorial perhaps. And uh, it said, for he wist not what to say. Peter, always a very outspoken person. And uh, so he thought that would be a good idea. But then as they came down, he, Jesus challenged them. He said not to. He charged them that they should not tell no man what, what they had seen or what they had experienced uh, till the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And uh, that concept, that thought, I believe, puzzled them. And uh, so uh, God is not the God of the dead. And as we think of, of uh, our connection to, with that word of, we need to be connected to the God of the living. And he is indeed the God of the living, not of the dead. And Kurt mentioned that in the, uh, I think in the devotional this morning. There is only two destinies. There is life and there is death. And we need to choose our choices this morning, our connections. Uh, what are our connections this morning? Uh, our connections, if they were with the true living God, as we've seen here in the scripture this morning, as we looked at uh, Moses, as we looked at Elijah, as we looked here with uh, Jesus' experience here on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, that connection with him is what gives us life or death. I want to go back to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This was later in Moses' experience. Um, Moses' last challenge to the children of Israel. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses uh, 11 through 20. Deuteronomy 30, beginning reading at verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart, 
that thou mayest do it. I was challenged with those words. As I think of God's word being very nigh to us, it's not that it's in heaven. It's not that it's over the sea, but it's nigh. We can know. We can have that connection, that word of. We can have that connection with God's word, with God's name, who he is. He can be our God. It's very nigh unto thee in thy mouth, in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Uh, it needs to be in our heart, our mind, our heart needs to be vocally expressed, testified, and then it needs to be obeyed, is what it's telling us there in verse 14. Now verse 15, See, I have sent before thee this day life and good and death and evil. We have that choice always between life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. In the children of Israel's experience here, it was talking about them going in and possessing the land of Canaan. We sometimes think of heaven as being Canaan. We sing songs about heaven being Canaan. Are we going to go in and possess that land? Are we faithful in living our lives here so that we can be possessors of that future Canaan? Verse 17, But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that, thou, that both thou and thy seed may live. Talk about embracing the faith of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life. And the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. There he mentions it again. Not using the word of necessarily, but he has Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's drawing that connection there to them. Reminding them of their commitment to, to their God and challenging them to that relationship. I want to jump ahead to chapter 32. And uh, read verses 1 through 14. It's known as, as one of Moses' songs. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 1. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb. And as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. Talk about publishing the name of the Lord. Are we showing our connection to our God, are we publishing his name as through our lives as we live? Verse 4, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath brought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. 
He found him in a desert land and in a waste and howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine, milk of sheep, with fat of lambs, and the rams of the breed of Bashan, and the goats with the fat of the kidneys of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. And I'll stop reading there. But I think Moses is challenging the children of Israel, just as I'd like to challenge you this morning. Look, at, look back in history. Look back at your past life. Look at the lives of your parents and the past generations. Has there ever been a time that God has not been able to, uh, that God's arm was shortened, God was not able to lead, God was not able to meet the needs of his people, those that embraced him as their God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We can... You know, from our perspective sometimes, there's some things we question. We seem like there's unfairness, injustice carried out. But it was not, it was God's divine purposes if there was something happened. And uh, it's not that God was, was, did not have the ability, the power to preserve lives. You know, you think of, of the many Christians that have experienced martyrdom. Uh, in a sense, they are the victors because they have been translated into that future Canaan land already. So I want to challenge you this morning as we look at this uh, song of Moses as he challenged the children of Israel. You know, we need to realize who God is and how great he is and, and uh, make that connection to him with that word of. Is he our God? Would he feel comfortable being called uh, the God of Warren, the God of whatever your name is? And uh, so God wants that personal connection with each one of us, I believe. Turning to the Gospel of John, John 17. This word of here has to do with our location. And uh, this is Jesus here in his, known as his high priestly prayer, uh, remembering where we are as his children this morning, each one of us. Uh, I'd like to read uh, just a portion of this prayer in John 17, beginning at verse, uh, verse 9, I believe. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And I'll stop reading there. 
You know, Jesus here is telling us there in, uh, particularly there in verse 14 and also verse 16, he says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of. Using the word of in a negative sense. We are not of this world. We're in this world, but we are not of this world. Uh, we cannot afford to be of this world. And uh, Jesus here is praying this high, high priestly prayer in our behalf today in the 21st century. If we could have read on there further, he says, uh, verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And then verse 20 particularly, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And that includes, that includes you and me this morning. Each one of us that have ever uh, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ through the word of the gospel this morning can have that confidence that Christ prayed this prayer in our behalf. And uh, as I was thinking about that, we're in this world. You know, and I say we can't totally, uh, you know, we eat. We have appetite. And we don't have appetite, we get concerned. Right, Ryan? We, we want appetite. We need to eat. We need, we need exercise. Uh, you know, so that's part of our physical being here in this world. But when do we become too attached to this world? When do we become too much a part of this world? How do we know that? Um, I was meditating on that for quite a while. Uh, you know, we're in it, but yet we're not supposed to be of it. I want to read verse six, chapter 16, verse 33. Just backing up a little from where I was there. Yes, uh, the last verse before he starts his high priestly prayer Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Okay, Peace is something we want. Peace is something we want to experience. Jesus said that he has, uh, he has spoken unto us. He has given us his word. He was the living word. He has given his word so we can have peace. And uh, he was the sacrifice that brought, that made that peace available to us so that we can be brought back into a relationship with God. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me, in Christ, ye may have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Okay, So we shouldn't think it's strange. We do have difficulties in life. Okay, We will have difficulties. But be of good cheer, cheer, he says. I have overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world for us. And uh, so if we face difficulties in life, martyrdom, is that a difficulty? <laughs> Physically it is. Uh, illnesses. Financial reverses, whatever it may be, financial losses, you know, those are secondary. God has overcome those things. We can be of good cheer through those experiences. As we see God's hand, we maybe have to sometimes ask whether we have brought some of those things on ourselves, but if we are not responsible, we have not contributed to that, then I think we can experience peace. We can be of good cheer through those difficulties in life. Because we will have tribulations. Looking back at uh, the high priestly prayer here in John 17, just a little closer. I think it's important that we understand that uh, in verse 2, I, wanted, I didn't uh, read there, but it says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he might give eternal life, to as many as thou hast given him. That was Jesus here, I believe, uh, stating his mission. And it should be our mission as well. To be dispensers or a channel through which that eternal life can be uh, accessed. 
as we share the truth, as we, sh- as we share the story of salvation, as we share the love of God, that all flesh should experience eternal life. That was Christ's mission, and he stayed focused on that. Is that my mission as well? Verse 3 talks about knowing, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Uh, verses 4 and 5 talk about glorifying thee on the earth. Is my life this morning a testimony and a glorification to God? Um, God calls us to that. God wants to be glorified through our lives, through the lives of his disciples, through the lives of his followers. Uh, Verse 6, I thought was impressive. I have manifested thy name. Notice that. I have manifested thy name, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Unto all men which thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Uh, Introducing people to the name above all other names. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what our earthly connections are with that word of, but it does matter what our spiritual connection is to the God of all gods and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We need to keep the word. We need to obey it. We need to live it out. We need to, in a practical way, I believe the world today is looking for uh, truth and uh, they need to see it in the lives of God's children. Verse 7 8 talk about receiving and believing in the Son and who His Father is. And uh, so it's a challenge that we are a channel through which we can be pointing others to Christ. I wanted to, uh, as I was thinking about being in the world but not of the world, I thought of these verses here in, in, the, uh, in John chapter, uh, the epistle of. Uh, First Epistle of John, First John, two verse sixteen, I believe it is. I just thought of that. I was talking about it. First John two sixteen. As we think of being in the world but not of the world, I think the answer here is for all that is in the world. Okay, that's the way it states it here in First John two sixteen. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is the world. Okay. Very simple statement. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. I believe I need to ask myself if, if I'm questioning, okay, I'm in the world, but am I of the world? I think we can look how close, uh, verse 16 there, I need to look at my attitude toward myself. I need to look at my attitude toward things. I need to look at my attitude toward others. How dear or uh, how is my relationship with those of my brotherhood, those of my neighbors, those that I share this world with? Those are three questions I think we will give a key to knowing what my relationship is to this world. If I hold these things dear, tangible things, we talked about that in the Sunday school lesson, and fear to release them or let go of them, you know, it's a good chance that I'm, I'm becoming assimilated into the world or the values of the world. It means having a different value system. If I have trouble in relationships, I need to look and, and uh, ascertain as to what that problem is. Is it my fault? Because our horizontal relationships are impacted. Uh, our, our vertical relationship with God is definitely impacted, according to the Scripture, with our brotherhood relationship. 
So those are three questions we need to evaluate is how do I look at myself, how do I look at others, and how do I look at things? And uh, I thought of that verse, you know, those things clearly are of the world. So I thought about, in conclusion, three questions. Sometimes we, uh, we hear it expressed this way, who in the world do you think you are? And, uh, well, we need to be ready to answer that we are God's children. We serve the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Really, in this world, we are nobody. Um... We are followers of Christ. We are his disciples. We are doing his kingdom. We are ambassadors. Is another way the uh, Apostle Paul refers it to. We are simply ambassadors. We are not citizens. Uh, who are we in this world is a challenge. Second question, the world offers us, I believe, positions that would uh, perhaps uh, infringe on our relationship with God and perhaps tend to take a first place. Any position the world offers us, I believe, is, is, is less than what we can experience in Christ this morning. I know it's less. And uh, we need to be careful that we maintain that separation. The other third question I think we need to ask as we look at this connection of the word of, you know, how near to the world's destination do I want to get? Really, how near to the world's destination? We talked about only two destinations, eternal life uh, or eternal death and destruction. And uh, we need to maintain, we need to look at those three questions honestly, I believe, as we serve the Lord in our culture today, in our life, in our world, in our communities, and uh, maintain that pilgrim and stranger concept uh, it's not always easy. I'll admit that. We, we, uh, we, there are things that sometimes infringe on what we feel would be uh, a threat to our relationship with God. But uh, I believe by the grace of God and uh, the help of the brotherhood, we can determine what is uh, a safe position to uh, live out our faith. And that was one of the expressions that I believe as I thought about the, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know, what was the key thing that, uh, that probably identified those three? And it was their faith, I believe. Abraham left the heir of the Chaldees, not knowing where he was going. And, uh, you know, that's a challenge. Uh, he followed him in faith. And Jacob, Jacob and Isaac as well, I think, were uh, depicted that evidence of faith as well. And God calls us today to that same uh, portrayal of faith, to follow him one step, one day at a time, and uh, incomplete, unreserved obedience to Him. And again, God's Word is, is, is nigh to us. We can know what God wants us to do. It's not like it's across the sea. It's not like it's in heaven. God has given us the written Word. We need to immerse ourselves in that Word so that we know how He wants us to live, how He wants us to relate to our culture, how He wants us to relate to our 21st century that we live in, issues that we... Uh, we face from time to time, life and death issues perhaps. So I hope that this morning as we think of the word of, where are we from, what are our earthly connections, 
Some of them we have choices in. Some of them we didn't have choices in. But spiritually speaking, we do have choices in knowing whether we are going to embrace the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That is our choice this morning. And I trust that this morning that choice would be yours in unreserved uh, commitment to follow him.